Is American democracy sick? Hi, I'm Philip Lumel. Welcome to No Uncertain Terms, the official podcast of the Turn Limits Movement for the week of February 15, 2021. Your sanctuary from partisan politics. A new Associated Press poll suggests that nearly half of the country believes America's democracy is not functioning properly. Are they right? Let's discuss this with U.S. Turn Limits Executive Director Nick Tombalides. Hey, Nick. Happy President's Day. Oh, thank you. I think you've seen the new Associated Press NORC Center for Public Affairs Research poll. They uh, took it in early January, and the big result is that Americans don't think our democratic system is working that well. 45% actually believe it's not functioning well. An additional 38% believe it's operating somewhat well, and only 16% think it's operating very well. What say ye? I would say that if your first thought is to blame this on Biden and Trump, think again, because these results have been around for a while. This goes back long before Trump. This is the type of problem that got Trump elected. And um, I think the blame lies squarely with Congress, right? Yeah. Congress is not at all representative of the country anymore. That's right. No, it isn't. And I tell you, it's, uh, we talk about on this podcast a lot of the reasons why that is. And it starts with, if you're talking about democracy, you must be talking about elections. And to have well-functioning democracy, you need well-functioning elections, which means you need access to running for office, access to being able to vote for meaningful candidates in meaningful races, that is, competitive races. You need rotation in office. You need all the things that our founders tried to build into the system of American democracy. And these things are withering on the vine. There's no question about it. I mean, how many times on this podcast do we talk about the fact that 90 to 95% of the time, incumbents in the U.S. House win their own seat? Yeah, and I think um, inherent in a good definition of democracy is the ability of ordinary people to step up and serve in government, to run for office and have a viable chance of winning. Mm -hmm. Uh, But that simply doesn't exist. Our elections are monopolized by these incumbents. A third of elections in this country are just an incumbent running unopposed, no competition whatsoever. And there's this funding disparity. I know you've got some of the data coming Mm -hmm. from these PACs that has basically created a wall. It's bigger than anything Donald Trump could imagine. It's a barrier to entry, and it's blocking ordinary people from running for office. It's blocking new voices, new faces, new perspectives from getting to Washington and actually making a difference. Oh, yeah. Money is the root of it, and you're right about that wall. And that wall is getting higher and higher. Um, Get this. From 2016 to 2020, one full election presidential election cycle, the donations to federal candidates have doubled. The total cost of the 2020 election at the federal level um, is expected to be around $14 billion, double that of 2016. And so the problems that we were complaining about four years ago are arguably twice as bad in 2020. And what percentage of that money is going to incumbents as opposed to challengers? It's the huge ratio. I think it's $9 from special interest PACs go to incumbents for every $1 that flows to a challenger. 
it just makes it impossible to compete. Oh, absolutely. I have the fresh numbers on that too. You know, the site, uh, opensecrets.org, is a wealth of information on this stuff. Also, Ballotpedia as well. Um, but I'm looking at where all the pack money is going. So, of course, this money is doubled too. And <laughs> in every industry, when you go down the list, over 90% of the money they give out goes to incumbents and not challengers. So just give me a couple of examples. Agribusiness, 91.5% of the dollars that agribusiness packs gives out goes to incumbents. 91.5. The most extreme is defense. 97.5 in 2020 of all the money given out by defense packs went to incumbents. You know, uh, healthcare, 95%. So this is where I have a real problem with... Uh the folks in Washington, D.C., because you know they're being disingenuous and they're being dishonest when they oppose term limits. If you recall, when Trump said he wanted term limits for Congress, Mitch McConnell was the first person to stand up on a pedestal and say, oh, there will be no vote on this because we have term limits and they're called elections. Right. Right. And if that if he and if he genuinely believed that, if he genuinely believed elections were fair, that anyone could step up to the plate and challenge him anytime they wanted, then maybe I would give him a mulligan on that and I would say, he's not evil, he's just wrong. Right. But what you just described proves that he and every other career politician in Washington knows better. Oh. They know how the system really works. This is what they, they do for are, a living. Because yeah. they they are the ones acting like Hoover vacuum cleaners, sucking up all of these dollars from the lobbyists and the PACs. They're spending five hours a day raising this money. Each one of them, they're sitting on $2 million, $5 million, in some cases $20 million if you're a senator, to make sure that no one else can run against you. They know it's mo money, mo problems. They know that the only color that matters is green up there. And yet they continue to just spew these talking points against term limits that have no basis in reality. Yeah. How about this talking point? The average House challenger who won had to spend $3.5 million to do it. And keep in mind, all the PAC money is going to the incumbent, as we just discussed, right? So the challenger's running. They've got to raise $3.5 million and then... Guess what? The amount that an individual is allowed to give to a federal candidate is $2,800 per person. And they don't have the name recognition and everything else. It is so skewed against the challenger. Yeah, sure. If we just can vote out the incumbents, that doesn't happen. And it's clear why it doesn't. Yeah, and, and then what you have is you have such a tiny percentage of people who actually live in this country that have access to public service who actually have a reasonable chance of winning office oh, yeah. and they're they're not at all representative of the country i mean th this is why you go back 1970 in 1970 29 members of the u.s house said that their prior occupation before getting to congress was career politician <laughs> right now that number is 171 so it's, that's a 500% increase in career politicians the senate has increased by 200% the second most represented uh, profession is lawyers. Right. And so you, you come away from this idea of representation. John Adams said the legislature needed to look like the people, but in miniature. Mm -hmm. He said, should think, feel, reason, and act like them. Well, that just isn't true. Congress isn't like us at all. This is a public service announcement. One reason that the U.S. Congress is dysfunctional is because it is run by its most senior members, members who statistically cannot be defeated. 
Senator Patrick Leahy of Vermont was elected in 1974, nearly 47 years ago. He is 80 years old and is having increasing difficulty performing his role as senator. In this clip from the impeachment trial last week, Senator Leahy is managing a request from Senator Mike Lee to have a quotation of his stricken from the record. As you listen, keep in mind that, as of January 21st, Senator Leahy is president pro tempore of the U.S. Senate and third in line for the presidency after Vice President Kamala Harris and House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. Pursuant to impeachment rule 16, I make a motion. Statements were attributed to me moments ago by the House impeachment managers. Statements relating to the content of conversations between a phone call involving President Trump and Senator Tuberville mm -hmm. were not made by me. They're not accurate and they're contrary to fact. I move pursuant to rule 16 that they be stricken from the record. Pursuant to Senate Resolution 47, Section 4, parties' uh, presentations are not limited to the record provided for in Section 1 of that resolution. We might as well hear clearly what the ruling of the chair was. So if you would repeat that. Of course, I, I will. And um, pursuant to Senate Resolution 47, Section 4, the parties' presentations are not limited um, yeah, yeah. The senator, senator, from, uh, senator from Utah has appealed that ruling, is that correct? Yes, I have. have you, <laughs> and there, uh, there, the yeas and nays have been requested for sufficient and, and what is the question? Is it shall the ruling of the chair be sustained? Is that the question? Yes. 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 Whether the ruling of the chair with respect to no, 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 no. no. And, and what may I ask is the ruling of the chair? My point was not about whether it's appropriate for them to make characterizations. My point was to strike them because they were false. Senate Resolution 47 applies to this situation. Is correct. The question is whether uh, Senate Re Resolution 47, Section 4. Um, is correct the party's presentations are not limited to the record provided for in section one of that resolution mr president that is not my motion you you're, you you've ruled on a motion you've ruled on something that was not what i moved statements were attributed uh, attributed to me repeatedly as to which i have personal knowledge because i am the source they are not true i never made those statements i asked that they be stricken this has nothing to do with whether or not they're based on depositions which they're not it's simply based on the fact that I'm the witness. I'm the only witness. Those statements are not true, and I ask that you strike them. President. No, who's talking? Joe. What is he doing? The A's and A's were asked for on an appeal. Could, Mr. President. The Senate will vote on the appeal oh, of the ruling of the chair that this Come on. I'm in trouble with the mic. I'm sorry. The, uh, the yeas and nays have been asked. The yeas and nays have been asked for. The yeas and nays have been requested. Let him explain. On Please let him explain, Mr. President. Why is it false? What was not false? What was false about it? Mr. President, I ask you to answer the Senator's question. The is not in order under Senate Resolution 47, Section 4. Uh, Prior presentation not limited to the uh, record provided for in section one of that resolution. And that has been appealed. The yeas and nays have been requested. Call the 
The clerk will call the roll. Ms. Baldwin. Mr. Barrasso. Mr. Bennett. Wait, point of clarification. What what is the question? Now get this too. And we also just talked about how special interest, how PACs give 90-95% of their PAC dollars to incumbents. And then we see over time since the late 60s that incumbents have won 90 to 95% of the time. In fact, in 2020, the re-election rate in the U.S. House was 97%. This system is broken, and the 45% of Americans that told this pollster that there's something wrong with American democracy are right. I mean, I, I would just challenge you to ask how, if you are a teacher or a farmer or a nurse or the owner of a small grocery store, um, you represent the heart and soul of this country. How are you going to get elected to Congress? If you don't have a well-oiled political machine behind you, if you are not a self-made millionaire, how are you going to get to Congress? Do you want me to answer that? Limits? Do you want me to answer that question or is, or is it just rhetorical? It's term limits. That's the answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the answer is they can't. We need term limits. And, you know, if we needed them four years ago, we need them doubly so now with the amount of money doubling in entering these federal races. So, yeah, it's sad but not surprising that people believe democracy isn't working. Yeah. Um, they're right about that. Yep. So that's the problem, Nick. We're working on the solution. What kind of action have we seen over the past week around the states and in the federal level on the term limits convention? and the tournament's amendment bills. Well, we've been reporting week to week that more and more states have been filing the term limits convention. Right. Uh, we are now up to nine states filed, Tennessee, Kentucky, South Carolina, Georgia, Arizona, Iowa, Indiana, North Dakota, and Minnesota. Okay. West Virginia, which is a priority state this year, is pending. That will be filed anytime now. Okay. Uh, and we've got several several others that are going to be filed this year. But the big announcement this week is one of these bills in a very critical state is moving forward, and that is Arizona. Hmm. In Arizona, uh, SR 1025, the Senate version of the Congressional Term Limits Convention, has a committee hearing, and that is taking place today, February 15th, in the Arizona State Senate Government Committee. Oh, that's exciting. So what's our history with Arizona? I believe we've won at least one of the houses in the past. Arizona, uh, we have won the state house twice. We've not been able to capture the state Senate. In fact, we have not gotten a vote in the state Senate, which means, regrettably, we don't have all the politicians on record so we can hold them accountable. Mm. But that's what makes this committee announcement so interesting. It looks like the Senate will be moving first mm. this year in Arizona, which increases the likelihood of us getting a vote. Um, so I would tell people, look, the hearing is, is today. It's the 15th at 2 p.m. local time in Arizona. If you're just listening to this podcast when it was first released, you live in Arizona. You still have an opportunity to oh. visit termlimits.com slash take action, send a message to the committee members. If you happen to miss the timing for the Senate committee, we also have a state house committee hearing in Arizona Wednesday at 9 a.m. local time. So you can go to termlimits.com, take action. If you live in Arizona, send a message to the legislators on both committees. It'll have a huge impact. Uh, it's great news. Uh, one of the states that I'm excited about is West Virginia, which you mentioned. One, because so many members of that legislature have signed the pledge that they were going to co-sponsor, vote for, and defend the uh, tournaments convention resolution in that state. Sorry to hear it hasn't been introduced yet, but I know that the two 
likely sponsors have been busy working the issue anyways. But also, uh, Senator Randy Smith and Delegate Jeff Pack co-authored a op-ed which appeared on an important uh, political website in West Virginia uh, last week. And it's really good. It's really good. And it really shows these guys understand the issue. And it's really great to have them on our side. Listen to some of the stuff here they wrote. First, they complain about what we're complaining about, about the uh, U.S. Congress. And they say, is it any wonder the power of the incumbency has grown so strong that special interest super PACs now give nine out of every $10 to incumbents over challengers? Just vote them out, one might say. It now costs a bona fide fortune to begin to mount a credible challenge against an incumbent. That's just what we're talking about. They get it. In fact, what I really like here is when (laughs) they say Congress won't propose tournaments on itself. If two-thirds of both houses of Congress were willing to propose term limits on themselves, we probably wouldn't need term limits. <laughs> good point. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was pretty good. So anyway, they're, taking, they're going to go around Congress, and that's what the term limits convention bills are about, because they're saying if Congress is not going to propose an amendment for the states to ratify, then the states themselves can propose an amendment in a term limits convention if such a convention is called by 34 states. If you want to check out this op-ed in, in West Virginia, go to lootpress.com. That's L-O-O-T-P-R-E-S-S dot com. It's one of their editorials, and it's called, Are You Fed Up With Congress? We Are Too, by Senator Randy Smith and Delegate Jeff Pack. Good work, guys. Loot Press, Loot as press. in w- what the Congress is doing to the Republic, followed by <laughs> the group enabling them, lootpress.com. <laughs> Very well. Very good. <laughs> That's good. Hi, this is Scott Tillman, the National Field Director with U.S. Term Limits. We ask candidates for Congress to sign a pledge that will help us get a term limits amendment into the U.S. Constitution. The pledge reads, I pledge that as a member of the U.S. Congress, I will co-sponsor and vote for the U.S. Term Limits Amendment of three House terms and two Senate terms and no longer limit. Every two years when a new session of Congress starts, the term limits amendment must be introduced again. The current resolution is HJR 12 in the U.S. House, and we currently have 57 co-sponsors. Four new co-sponsors this week. At the same point last cycle, we only had 32 co-sponsors. SJR 3 is the new Senate resolution for 2021, and there are currently 10 co-sponsors. We are making progress. You can help by contacting your representative and senators to ask them to sign the pledge and to co-sponsor HJR 12 or SGR3. For more ways to help, search U.S. Term Limits on Facebook, like and follow our national page, and the page for your state. Thank you. Thanks for joining us for another weekly episode of No Uncertain Terms. For this week's action item, I point you to a great new tool found at termlimits.com takeaction. This site is a progress report of all of our target states for advancing the term limits convention bills in 2021. The site will tell you where the term limits convention bill stands in your state, whether it's been introduced or even passed one or more committee votes, so you can track its progress. If it's been introduced in your state, there is a take action button, which allows you to quickly and easily send the relevant legislators a message urging them to support the bill. It will take two minutes. You can find this progress report at termlimits.com slash take action. Thank you, and happy Term Limits Day, February 27th. We'll be back next week. The revolution isn't being televised. 
Fortunately, you have the No Uncertain Terms podcast. U.S.T.L.